No, recording now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm a little hot in here. It's burning. It is pretty hot. Alrighty, guys. So, we're continuing on in what we've been talking about, missions. And I really want to now go to the New Testament for evangelism. We're in that subsection, what we're talking about in missions. So we have, you know, missions and then evangelism. What are the other three things that we talk about that kind of incorporated into missions? So evangelism is one of them. Church planning is another one. There's two more. There's two more. Yep. It's the whole entire study we're talking about now. Yeah, there you go, holistic. Holistic missions. So feeding the poor, caring for the orphans, things of that sort. We broke down evangelism last week from the Old Testament. Now this week we're going to the New Testament. So in your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When you are there, you can say amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Use whatever you want to use right now. I'm going to use NIV right now, just because it's in my hand. Amen, amen, amen. I know, but right now I just want to use it. Amen, German. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's actually read it in context from the beginning. In my former book of, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is probably where you're going to see Jesus really mention that word witness or what we know is going to happen in the New Testament. So here's the timeline. So you have Israel. They are jacked up, and so then you come up to the prophets, the prophets continually talk about what? About God, restoring uh, the ways to God. They're restoring their ways to follow God and his commands as promised and talked about in Deuteronomy. He said, these are the ways I set before you today. If you listen to the law, then you will have blessings, but if you don't, then you will be uh, punished, and this is the ways that you will see that punishment happen. But now, the prophets pass, and then so we have that whole entire period where there's no prophet, there's nobody going around, there's nobody saying anything, and that's where you start to see the Jews really start to get into this weird traditions, and these weird traditions. You see synagogues start to rise up in the land, and you have the, the Pharisees, you have these different types of leaders going around, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, the Zealots, 
And these guys are all kind of having little, little interpretations about the law and things of that. So you have the experts of the law who are just a whole different breed of people themselves. And Jesus comes into this picture in this time. And there is nobody really evangelizing, nobody doing things like that. They're just predominantly there in their land, occupied by Rome. And John the Baptist comes, and he prepares the way to the Lord. He's just a little bit older than Jesus. And John the Baptist goes and preaches repentance, and he preaches about the baptism for them to, to come to the Lord. Obviously, he didn't know uh, fully at that time about Jesus, who he was exactly. So before he, he uh, had that encounter with him, when we see him come to the, the Jordan River to get baptized, he's just saying, you guys need to, get re you need to repent of your sins. You can't just come in and just say, I do whatever I want to do. It's just whatever my sacrifice is. It's just whatever I do that. No, it's you have to repent of them now. You have to really give it to God now. It was a different aspect to that now. And so then Jesus comes. Jesus calls his disciples. And what Jesus does is an itinerant ministry throughout the land. So he goes through Galilee. He goes through Judea. But why is he doing it for? Why is Jesus going around and he's preaching for? Because that is exactly what he came. He came to seek the lost. He came to be a servant of all. He came to preach to every single person he can possibly be preached to. Now, we know Jerusalem has a big part in history of Israel. We know that Jerusalem is exactly where he's going to go and get crucified at. But he, he goes into it two times. He goes to it in the beginning of his ministry, and that's where you see it in John. And then most of the time when you see it in the Synoptic Gospels, he's actually going into it at the end of his ministry as well. Uh, so you see those two times where he goes into Jerusalem, and he, especially the last time he goes in there on a donkey or a cult, and he is uh, being told as Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then he goes and he clears the temple, and then he starts to rebuke the Pharisees and things of that sort. But Jesus understood it, that there were people that needed to hear about, about the kingdom of heaven, about the kingdom of God, to repent, to hear the good news. And so he started instituting these disciples with him so that they would go and do it. He sends them out two by two. Now we have that story as well in the Gospels. And he sends, he sends them out. They go and he gives them authority to preach and to cast out devils and do all that stuff. And they come back to him. They're so excited. They're like, man, like, you won't believe it, Jesus. The demons, they submitted to us. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, don't even rejoice about that. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. So he's always showing that there is a, a bigger picture to what is, a, what is supposed to happen. When Jesus is going through the towns, and especially in Samaria, they don't receive him too well. And so the sons of thunder decides to say what to them? Should we call down fire? Is that what Jesus came to do? Is that what Jesus uh, is evangelizing, traveling around for? So that he just is bringing wrath upon places and all that? No, not at all. What he's doing is he's declaring the good news, giving people an understanding of salvation. And so that was not what he, that's not what he wanted to do. So that's why he didn't say, yeah, go ahead. John, uh, go ahead, James. Just call down right now. Bring, all, bring down all the legions of angels. Let them bring down this place, and it's going to happen right now. No, not at all. And so here, Jesus gets crucified. He already said about Jerusalem that Jerusalem's the place where all the prophets get persecuted and get uh, martyred for their faith, get martyred for what they believe in, martyred for being uh, in the place of, of the prophets and not really being the popular guy and all that. So Jesus gets crucified, raised again, stays with the disciples for 40 days. And in Luke's account, this is where he says to them, 
wait now. Wait before you are these witnesses. Wait before you spread out to these places of the earth. Why? Because I want you to receive power. Now, this is the most important thing that you can understand right now in evangelism, other than the gospel. How to operate as an effective evangelist slash missionary is going to be, first thing, know the gospel, right, obviously, because you're not going to be a good witness if you don't know what you're talking about. Second thing is what? The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God. Why does Jesus say for them to do that? Because he's instituting now a motto. He's instituting a way that the kingdom of God is going to be upon the earth. He himself does not come just as divine, you know, and doing whatever he wants to do just because he does it. No, he humbles himself and he is obedient to the flesh that he's in. And how he operates in power. Yes, he, he knows the things. He has, he has a, that Christ knowledge sometimes when you read in the Gospels. He knew the intents of their heart. He knew yada yada. But predominantly, he was being filled with power from when he got baptized. When he got baptized, what happened? The Holy Spirit came on him in the form of a dove, and then, or in the other accounts, it said, and lightning. And then he, John the Baptist heard the voice, This is my son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So we are supposed to now follow his way of evangelism, his way of operating, and that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. If God did not want for us to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, if God wanted us to do missions or evangelism in a different way, then he would have simply. Not given Jesus that kind of a power, that, that ability. He would have had Jesus just be, you know, the, the same kind of, uh, just think about it, like the divine moment where he does crazy things and he's, you know, flying in the air and things of that sort. He's not doing that, though. Literally, you see him in a different light. He is praying. He is interceding. Most of the time, Jesus would go on the mountainside by himself to pray or he would draw himself to lonely places so that he can pray. Why? Because he was getting energized. He was getting back into the presence of, uh, with, in communion with the Father. And that's where we see that he's telling us to do the same thing. He's telling us to be witnesses, but through the Holy Spirit's power, through the dunamis power. Dunamis, that Greek word there, meaning a propelling, driving force that is moving forward. That is not just an explosive power, but it's a, a jet propulsion type of power. So we are being driven forward. We are giving power to go forward as his witnesses, but effective witnesses. Yes, Peter and the apostles could have done the same thing without the Holy Spirit. They were doing that when Jesus was around. But you see the character flaws. You see the things that were lacking in their ministries. They were just in flesh. They were just in simply in obedience. But there is a spiritual aspect to it that Jesus wants in the ministry, in evangelism, and as that power of God. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that he does it. He talks about it. So, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What happens to these guys is not anything short of a crazy transformation. They experience this powerful movement that happens on Pentecost. A loud sound comes. Uh, people get, get drawn to the place. They start speaking in tongues. It's a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit being uh, baptizing these individuals. And now you see them 
in a completely different light. Peter now preaches to all these crowds, the, the, the crowd specifically there, and there was how many people there, and how many people were representing there, people from Egypt, people from all sorts of places were there. And you see this happening, just the beginning taste of it. Now, the apostles decide to stay in Jerusalem for whatever reason. They stay in Jerusalem for the for beginning part of this uh, especially in Acts. We see them just staying there, just chilling there, doing what they want to do. And I don't know if they forgot about what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I don't know what was happening with them because they were just pretty nonchalant doing whatever they did. And I don't know why it is that you see these random people come up and stir the people in Jerusalem and the leaders so much, but you have these apostles. You would figure these apostles were, apostles were doing something to you know, incite persecution, but for some reason it just wasn't happening. You have Jerusalem, you have them being in Jerusalem, they were sharing, they were meeting in Solomon's colonnade, so it wasn't like they weren't in the temple. They were in the temple. Jesus came and he was in the temple. Now, um, I'm not very good at geography, but just imagine okay, that, um, that this is Jer uh, Jerusalem. City on a hill. I think, I'm mistaken, I'm trying to remember right here. This is like where the temple's around. Not that big, okay, but that's where the temple's by. And then obviously you have that, the, the outer courts, and then here is the inner courts with the actual temple being like right here or whatever. But I believe Solomon's colonnade was like this spot right here. And so you had the church, the early church meeting there. The early church would meet there, and they would just have fellowship, hear the apostles teach, but then you have Stephen, and Stephen comes out of nowhere. He's just a deacon. He's just waiting on tables, and he gets, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And now he rouses up people. He rouses up the leaders there. And so what happens when he rouses them up? Then the, the big persecution happens where all the Jerusalem Christians kind of get dispersed throughout the land. Not just in Jerusalem. They leave places. They go to different places and like that. And so now you start to see evangelism start to take place. Jesus, uh, can you please wait for your moment for some questions? Just so random. You're just like, wow. Yeah, so you have Jesus, the first person who's going around, and he is preaching outside of Jerusalem, but then you take maybe a few years for that to happen. Stephen comes around, gets radical, I guess, because of the apostles, whatever they were doing. Maybe the apostles were just trying to synchronize with the, with the, the culture there. You, we see that happen later on in Acts because they were kind of talking about it, um, especially when the Gentiles were getting engrafted in. They had kind of a problem with it. They were like, well, we don't want you guys to eat food sacrifice to idols, uh, and do X, Y, and Z. They, they give them like these little like regulations. It has no real benefit for anybody but just to appease the Jewish believers around them, right? So you see these guys. You see Stephen just preaches. Persecution happens. He gets stoned. Persecution happens, and then bam, it gets dispersed. Everybody gets dispersed. And now we start to understand that there is something happening behind the scenes. Now you have Peter, and Peter's going places. You had Philip before. He's, he's starting a revival in the, in the town. What is the town that Stephen, uh, Stephen um, that Philip starts a revival in? Huh? No, the Ethiopian is the one he met on the road. Damascus. You want to fact check that? Yeah. Let's go quickly to Acts chapter 7, I believe. Or we can just all look together real quick. Yeah, you will see right here. It'll be like blah, 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 blah. 
Philip, however, appeared as Totus, Estos, Azotos, and traveled about preaching the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. Yeah, Philip. That's where that we're looking at right there. So it was in Samaria. He brought revival in Samaria. Samaria, like I said, if you just look a few years back, John and James were saying, can we bring down fire in this place? But now we see that this is happening. And then, you, obviously, you go forward and you see then Saul, he gets converted and he travels around as well. And a lot of that, what is talked about in your books and things like that is going to be his missionary journeys to these different places. He, he goes from Jerusalem, you know, you have the Mediterranean Sea right there, this is Israel. He goes from where he's at, fully, he goes in Arabia for a while, and he just kind of goes back to the back and then goes back and goes back all the way over there, comes back, things of that sort. Fun fact, Rome is not close to Jerusalem. It is a, is a, a, a hop, skip, and a jump away. You know, it's not like it's right there. So uh, these guys were traveling around and evangelizing. Maybe John Mark got intimidated by him preaching to the Gentiles. Maybe that's why John Mark left his ministry. Maybe it was because something happened there in general. He was getting tired of being close to that, that kind of... Uh, a persecution, because whenever Paul and Barnabas would go down to these places, what would happen? Well, they would go, they would preach to people, and then they would try to go predominantly to the, the, the synagogue there or something like that, and they would try to preach in there. But then we started to see other people start coming around and hear that. So, thinking about evangelism in the New Testament, you can't separate the Holy Spirit from it. You can't separate it at all. As I said, it is the model that Jesus used. He said that we would do greater things than he. Why would we do that? Why would he say that? That is crazy. For, for, for us to be able to do greater things than Jesus, why would that even be a kind of like a paradigm that Jesus would care about? Because he cares about the world. Because he cares about the nations. And he says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Because he cares about these things so much. Why would, he, why would he just give you this little quick little model uh, just to have it happen in Jerusalem or just happen in the, the Jewish believers? No. God loved the world so much that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And how will they hear the gospel? How will they hear the good news unless somebody is sent? Right? And who will send? Who will be sent? You guys will be sent. What would you preach? The word of God. That's the only way that this could happen. Evangelism in the New Testament extends to where we are today. Now, Jesus, you can now go into this different category now of what happened and what kind of evangelism did Jesus do? Did Jesus do uh, relational evangelism? Did Jesus kind of just, you know, nosy on around some people, spent seven years trying to get to know them, and then said, hey, man, can you come <laughs> to my church? Can you please come to my church now? Well, you know, pretty please. No, he didn't. Jesus' accounts, when you read the Gospels, when he would evangelize, were really, really fast-paced and almost seemed like he, he would not even build a relationship. Now, we know Lazarus was one of those people, and a lot of people think that Nicodemus was eventually around. Joseph of Arimathea, as well, was kind of like a character that we see. He probably heard Jesus, and he was going around him as well, hearing him. But for the most part, what Jesus would do was simply present something to the person. And if they did not believe, 
you would say then something, and then they would just go on their way. Now, you know, these are accounts. When you look in the Gospels, remember, these are accounts. This is not a fully detailed thing of what was happening, how it was happening, the order that it was happening in. Especially when you look at it in Luke, you can see sometimes the order is in a different place or something like that. So don't be confused by things like that. Or don't think that, that Jesus did not do something like that because we know that there was a lot of people following Jesus. It wasn't just the 12. If it was just the 12, then when you read he sends out the 72, then you would have a, a confusing moment there in your theology, wouldn't you? You'd be like, well, it was just the 12 until, you know, the Pentecost. And then magically Jesus multiplied them into a room by themselves. No, no. People were following Jesus. So he would preach and then people would follow him. Now we know also in John chapter 6 that a lot of these people were following him just for the miracles. Just give me some, Papi Jesus. You know, give me some of your miracles, Papi. Give me some of the bread, Papi Jesus. And then Jesus goes and he turns around and says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you don't have me. You don't care anything about the kingdom of God. He rebukes them and he looks at the 12. He says, are you guys going to leave me too? Let's look at that real quick. Go to uh, John chapter 6. Y'all look at me don't like you don't believe what I'm saying. We'll just read, like, the paragraph title real quick, and then you'll see, like, the next one. So, John chapter 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus feeds them. And then he, go to verse 15, wait, verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now this little part right here, this little thing. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. Where they got into the boat, they set off across the lake for Capernaum. So they're leaving now. Jesus is like, well, I got to go now walk on some water and all that. So he decides to do that. On the other side now, Look right here, uh, verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats, into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So they're like, wait, where's Jesus at? Well, we got to go find him. So they go now and they look at him and they see him, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus looked and answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And then, blah, 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 he goes forward, and you go look to verse 60. It's really radical, man. I'm telling you, man, Jesus is not playing around with these guys. It's either you're going to have him or you're not going to have him. You're going to be in or not. Verse 60 says this, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh accounts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet they are some of, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray them. He went on to say, this is what I told you, that no one has come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Verse 66, from this time... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do, uh, too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And then Simon was like, heck no. you like, you good. So, looking at Jesus' ministry, where he traveled. I know we kind of jumped from Jesus' ministry and evangelism, but he had crowds. He had disciples. 
He had 12. He had 3. And he had 1. Crowds were everywhere. And they followed him. Jesus had disciples. But they deserted him. Later on, disciples get built. There's more disciples at the end of his ministry. But they all still kind of desert him. Twelve are always in the accounts that we see. Obviously, the three. Who are the three, Jasmine? Three what? The three close disciples that Jesus always kind of calls with him somewhere. James? James is one of them. Yeah. Uh, Peter? Peter, another one. And... The third one is right here. What's the It's your chest. It's your chest. I don't know. Who's the one? I can't say. Paul! What? Oh, my Lord. I love, I love this guy. It's not Paul, okay? <laughs> And you guys are not laughing because you guys don't know, I guess. <laughs> it's definitely not Paul. Paul was, I don't know where Paul was when Jesus was around, but when Jesus is gone, he starts persecuting the Christians. It's John, yeah. <laughs> that was my guess. I don't know. One Jesus loved. Yes. And what books did John write in the New Testament? Revelation. Revelation, yeah. John. John. First John. First John. <laughs> third John, yeah. There you go. That's good. Third John's pretty short, though. Third John is really short. It is. It's, a, it's an epistle. It's a letter. What book did they just split up? Just cut the back half off. No, no. Don't split that. Let's not touch the Bible that way. All right, does anybody have any questions? No, it's not. It's Luke. It's Luke. The Gospel of Luke, yeah. Yeah, so Luke um, is, is, is his major account. So you kind of read them together, basically, Luke and Acts. And the, you can read, you probably know about this. Most of you guys probably took the class already, but it's a Holy Spirit-centered book along with, like, uh, healings and things of that sort. So Luke has that kind of emphasis on it. Mark has an emphasis of... Like, just it's a fast-paced, like, book, talking a lot about demons and things of that sort. And Matthew is more on the Jewish side of things. And John, obviously, John is, Joanna literature is completely different. It's just his own thing and talks a lot of, because it's, I think, the closest, most personal to Jesus, uh, because John was the closest to Jesus. So you hear a lot more personal accounts and things of that sort, and you really get to see a different side to the Gospels. All right, anybody else? Going once, going twice. Sold. Awesome. Let's have Rudy pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us together here to learn, to be filled with wisdom and knowledge about um, our callings and the ministry, God, and the evangelism, God, that we're all called to do it, God. And I pray that you bless our time and we would always learn from you and always be teachable and humble in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Hallelujah.